You are the matchless King. You're the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Creator of the universe, the One who made all things, set them into motion, breathed Your life into our lungs, called our names before we were even born. You knew us, and You, and you knew the plan You had for our lives. And, and each person who's here, God, is, You brought them here. You, you're bringing us into relationship with Yourself, the Almighty God of the universe. And it is, it is mind-blowing to consider God. And so, Lord, I pray that as we worship today, reorient our lives around you. Forgive me, God, for the times that I orbit around my own desires and what I want and, and what makes me comfortable or what makes me happy instead of orbiting around you, the God who made me, the God who designed me, the God who set me free. So, Lord, as we prepare to hear your word now, may we have a humble, open heart before you. May we say, like Samuel did in the Old Testament, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Because we can trust you, God. You are our master, but you also invite us to call you Father. And so, Lord, continue to prepare us Speak to each person individually in this room in a way that only your spirit can. In Jesus' mighty name, you are worthy of all of our honor and praise. Amen. 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 Woo! He's good, guys. He's good. And we say that a lot here because we forget it, don't we? We forget it. But man, he's good. And so here today, um, can you believe we're going Father's Day? Uh, thanks, Joseph. Thanks, man. Um, Father's Day is next weekend. We are going to one service next week. What time is it? That wasn't everybody. What time is it? All right. All right. If we say it, we'll remember it. Um, and it's going to be such a fun celebration next Sunday, guys. Baptisms. We're going to kick off the book of Ephesians next week. It's going to be just a, a time of celebration to have everybody together. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. But today is the last Sunday of our series through this fascinating Old Testament book called Ecclesiastes. Now, I, I've, I've said a couple times, but it's true, like, as I've studied this book it has scratched areas of my soul that I didn't even know were itching. <laughs> it, it, it has opened my eyes in ways and helped me to see who God is in ways that other books just haven't in the, in the Bible before. And so I'm so grateful for it. But the hard thing is that this book, as we've seen, sometimes gets a bad rap for being, I don't know, depressing. Right? He says things like, meaningless. It's all Meaningless. But as we've seen in the book, what he does not mean is that our lives itself are meaningless. There's no point to this life. What he is saying is that if we are seeking to find a sense of lasting satisfaction, as he calls, under the sun, or if we're trying to grip or control our lives, it's, we're often going to end up like chasing the wind or trying to grab after smoke. It's, it's a pretty meaningless exercise to try to do that. Uh, but... As he helps us to realize that we can't find or grip lasting satisfaction under the sun, then perhaps we're meant to find it elsewhere. Thus, he leads us back 
to remembering who our God and who our Creator is over and over. And we've seen every week how God's answer in Jesus is the answer to all the questions posed and raised in this book of Ecclesiastes. Now, there's a lot more that we could have unpacked in our time together in this series. I wish we had time. Uh, But if you want to dig in deeper, again, I encourage you guys to check out that book, Living Life Backward by David Gibson, if you haven't already. That's a way that you can just dig in, make it summer reading, whatever you'd like to do. Uh, that way you can continue to soak in some of the things we've been talking about. But any of us who, who go into this book and, and, and weigh it and study it prayerfully, then we see that this author of Ecclesiastes serves as a guide into life. That as he walks into life and he's describing and finding the wisdom of God in it, he becomes a guide to us, leading us to to a more humble, honest, free life as our creator intended. That he serves as somewhat of a guide to us into life under the sun. So when I was 12 years old, I decided that I wanted to pick up guitar and learn. Having never done it before, I just tried to teach myself, not knowing any better. And after about a couple years, I realized I, I can't grow much more on my own. I need somebody to guide me into this world of guitar. So after finding a recommendation, my mom started dropping me off once a week uh, at this dark, grungy building in the middle of Oak Ridge, Tennessee, so that I could learn from this guy named Ken James. Now, Ken James, man... I think his, his, stu- his studio was tiny. It was big enough for, for the two of us and a couple of amps, and that was about it. And if you look at Ken James, like, he had a hard life. This man had had a bit of a hard life, but man, was he good at guitar. He had played with guitar greats like Chet Atkins. You guys know that name? Like, and when he played guitar, it was like his fingers were on ice skates across that fretboard. He glided across it. I would, I would come in and, and play a song that he had never heard. And in 30 minutes, he would hear it, learn it, and teach it to me. Like just a phenomenal musician. But he had been down the road far further in the guitar world than I had. So whatever he said, I listened to. And there were a few times that, I, that he would say, all right, I see how you're picking. And that's good and all. He says, but... What's coming down the road for you is going to get far more difficult. Life, the music's going to come at you a lot faster. He said, so I need you to start learning to pick like this instead, not the way you're doing it. And he said, oh, he says, I know uh, that you want to play a bunch of power rock songs. You know, he kind of chuckled at that. Like, he says, I, that's good and all. He says, but I want you to learn more than just that. He says, the guitar world is far more beautiful than just your power rock songs. All right, so I, I want you to learn some of these jazz scales or arpeggios because he wanted to, to, to introduce me to all that the world of guitar had. Thus, Mr. James became somewhat of a guide to me into that. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes, you could say the author of Ecclesiastes serves in, uh, for life under the sun in the way that Mr. James served in the world of guitar for me. Because most likely when the author of Ecclesiastes is writing this, he's a much older man. And he has, over his life, he said, weighed and tested, proved and studied where, where is life's meaning, where is the truth, where are the joys firsthand. 
that throughout all the noise and the distractions that life threw at him, he listened for the music that lasts. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Ecclesiastes now guides us too to listen to that song of God that will never end. You know what's interesting about Mr. James is that when I got to college, I was, I've, I've never been as good as he was, right? But when I got to college, I picked up a few guitar students myself. And I started, everything he taught me, I just tried to teach them. And we see, too, that as Ecclesiastes passes on what he knows to us, perhaps God is preparing us to do the same for somebody else. But first, in the midst of this world, as we step into what can often be a noisy world with many different voices competing for our attention, how can we learn to weigh and test what is true? How can we learn to hear the voice of God for ourselves? And so today we're going to finish up the series, the very last words of the book, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 9 to 14. And I, I invite you to open the Blue Bibles in front of you and turn there with me. Um, however, I will be reading from a different translation today uh, called the ESV because this translation gets at what the original language was communicating better, in my opinion. And I, wanted to, I want you to see some things that this translation brings out that the NIV does not. So we're, but we're in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 9 to 14. You can still follow in the Blue Bibles. It just won't match exactly. All right, Ecclesiastes 12. You guys ready to hear the Word of God? Here we go. Verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. That the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. But the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil. Let me lead us in prayer here. God, I pray that your word um, would find open hearts here, that you help us understand better, but also help us to understand with our hearts. God, that we receive you, that we learn what it means that you're a God of justice and mercy, love and compassion and that we learn to love you in return in such a way that transforms our lives and teaches us what it means to represent you in this world. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer in whom we trust. And everybody said, amen. So I don't think I need to say it, but it's worth saying anyway, that life under the sun can be confusing sometimes. Quite confusing. That we are in a world of many conflicting voices competing against each other for our attention. And in that kind of world, it's tough to know which voice is true, which voice to follow, and which one not. Like, like what is true? What really matters? 
And propelled by these questions, the author of Ecclesiastes, called the preacher here, went in search of truth, wisdom, and God. And he weighed and he studied all there was under the sun. And as we see him do this, now he is communicating. He said, I'm sharing this so that you can learn to do the same. But can we? Or or how? And while there's so many voices that speak around us, what did Ecclesiastes, as author, discover? That life can be confusing. But even amidst the distractions of this world and the noise in our minds, God is speaking. To be human is to be in search of meaning, of something lasting, something true, something good. That's who we are. Ecclesiastes said in chapter 3, after all, he says, God has placed eternity in our hearts, meaning that we're all looking for something lasting. But the difficulty, especially today, is finding the voice of God amidst all the other conflicting ones, ones competing for our attention. And before we talk about how to find God's voice, it's worth just, just parsing out for a second what are a lot of the other conflicting voices that often compete. Well, first, some of the other loud sounds around us are the dominant voices in our culture. I mean, what, what are some of the most common messages you hear across movies, music, advertisements, or other areas of pop culture? You could probably come up with a bunch of them, but, but a few being your happiness is what matters most. You know, be true to you. You do you. Or one of the most popular, the big ones, is if you want to find truth, Listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. Now, that doesn't mean listen to the God within your heart. Most of the time, what people mean by that is let your individual desires lead you to the right path. These are just some of the dominant messages in our culture. But second, not only do we have the voices of our culture, but we also have around us the opinions and expectations of others. We get the voices of our parents, our grandparents, our kids, our grandkids, our loved ones, our bosses, those we respect, right? And many of those voices are good and formative, right? Many of them can be. But, but as some of you know, some of those voices can be deformative. They can be hurtful, abusive, and it's tough when you've been wounded by them to get them out of your mind. Or for some of us, like, if we struggle a lot with, with people-pleasing, The voices of others are especially strong in our mind. But in addition to culture and others, we have the voice in our own minds. And I don't mean like split personality disorder right here, okay? That's that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm just talking about our thoughts. We have all kinds of thoughts that just go through our head in any given day. And some of those thoughts are true. Some of those thoughts are worry. Some are self-destructive. Some are selfish. Some are, are false thinking. Right, right. It, some of us, we walk around every day and inside our minds is so loud, but nobody else around us would know it. That the battle in our minds can be intense and loud. And so we know the culture, others, even our own thoughts. But last, and the one we got to mention here, is also the voice of Satan. Satan is God's enemy. Scripture also calls him the devil. Jesus calls him the father of lies or the accuser. 
that God's enemy works through culture. He works through the voices of others. He works to, to plant ideas and thoughts in our mind, but always with the goal of deafening our ability to hear God's voice. And he can come at us a bunch of different ways. Sometimes he goes after our pride, and he says, you're so special. You deserve more. Other times he goes right at shame. He said, how dare you? You're worthless. You might as well quit now. But no matter what, if it's one side or the other or anywhere in between, he's always working to separate you and me from God and his purposes for our lives. So it is, isn't it a wonder that our, I mean, these are just some of the voices we struggle with. Isn't it a wonder that, that sometimes it's be hard to even discern what's true and what's not? Yes. But amidst the voices in our culture, others, our minds, Satan, God has spoken. Like the God that created you and me, he's not a silent God. He's a God who is communicating and speaking and has spoken to us. That in the Old Testament, we see that he came and spoke to Moses. And he says, Moses, this is who I am. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He says, I am one of mercy and justice. And he spoke through the Old Testament prophets and he even showed his way to the, to the authors of the wisdom literature like Ecclesiastes. And throughout the Old Testament, he spoke and he said, there's another one coming. And in fulfillment of the Old Testament, the one God promised did come. And he was called the Word. The Word, Jesus, who took on flesh and so that we could behold his glory. One of grace and truth. That God spoke. He made himself known. He revealed himself to this world. And then he even made himself visible to this world in the person of Jesus. And Jesus said that to listen to him, to follow him, was to listen to and follow God himself. And Jesus also said that those who follow him will receive his spirit, one called the spirit of truth, because he testifies or speaks to our own spirits as to who God is. And that same Spirit breathed on the New Testament authors so that we may be without a doubt as to the, the truth and the way of salvation in Christ. So you see, the Spirit inspired the words of Scripture. Scripture testifies to Jesus. And Jesus asked the Father to send us the gift of his Spirit. That the Spirit and the Word never contradict each other. But, but they, are, they, they, they have this powerful reaction together as they testify to Jesus. But in all of these ways, God is making himself known so that we can hear him and we can follow him. Why? God speaks so that we too can learn to weigh and study what is true even in the noise. So, I might have said this before, but I guess you didn't know. My dad is an avid comic book collector. Like, all vintage comics. And he, he can go into a comic book auction. And because he's been doing this for years... He knows exactly where the value is and where it's not. Why? 
Because he has spent decades weighing and studying that market. Now, if I go to a comic book auction, like I have no clue what I'm looking at. I can pick up anything. I have no clue whether it's valuable or not. Why? Because I haven't weighed and studied like he has. I think so many of us in this room, we want to learn to recognize God's voice. We want to get to know his word better. We want to have a stronger connection to his spirit. But like Ecclesiastes, are we also willing to spend time studying his word and conversation with his spirit so that we can grow to be able to weigh and test and approve what is true and lasting and what is not? God made himself knowable. He has spoken and he is speaking by his spirit today so that we would not have to live in the dark or in confusion in the midst of the noise, the voices around us. But, but then the next question is, well, how do we learn to recognize God's voice? What are the, the effects of it? How can we learn to, to, to pick out the characteristics of God's voice? Ecclesiastes, what did you learn in the midst of your studying of it? He says, sometimes God's word brightens our hearts with joy. And other times, he painfully redirects us. But it's all a work of his grace. So imagine, again, this elderly, battle-tested sage sharing with us what he has learned from all his years of weighing, studying, and teaching God's wisdom, God's way. You know, when I think about this own church, uh, this church, I think about mighty men of faith who have come before us who are now with Jesus. Guys like Gordon Mercer, Francis Heckman. Men who, because they'd been following Jesus for decades, whenever they spoke, people stopped and listened. Because they had learned and weighed and people knew that whatever they're about to say is going to be the wisdom of God. And from all the years, the author says... I've seen two effects of God's word. Two effects. First, that the truth of God brings joy to our souls. He said the preacher sought to find words of delight. That delight can also be translated extreme joy. And uprightly, meaning without watering it down, he wrote words of truth. You know, the author of Psalm 119 says that when he reads God's word, it's like, it's like I'm eating something sweeter than honey. And what makes God's word so beautiful, so joyful, so life-giving is that it's true. It's true. And we can trust it. And not only that, how many of you in this room, I'm sure we got stories, how many of you have ever felt overwhelmed and confused by all that's going on in the world until God speaks his truth and it's like he just clarifies something for you? How many of you had that experience? Yeah. How many of you have just felt directionless in life until God spoke purpose over your life? How many of you have have felt like addiction or a string of bad habits kept chaining you to shame until Jesus spoke forgiveness and set you free? Yes. How many of you ever felt gripped by anxiety until God spoke peace over you? 
Now, I've had a couple experiences where the, the expectations of others and, and their opinions of me were especially loud in my mind until God spoke to me. And these are really the words of, of Romans 8. And he says, if God is for me, who can be against me? And I'm telling you, no joke. It was like a stormy sea in my mind just calmed. That's the effect of God's word. When God speaks, he brings joy. He, he reminds us of his love. He settles us in peace. That, that it's always meant to bring us to a place of, of knowing who he is. But Ecclesiastes recognizes another effect of God's word. That sometimes we initially receive it with joy. But other times, the truth of God must redirect us. And at least initially, it's painful. He says in verse 11, that the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd. So in that day, if a shepherd's flock was steering off course, down a dangerous path, going out alone, the shepherd pulled out his instrument called the goad. Get that picture up there. Goad, which is this long stick, but fixed at the end was what was called a nail, firmly fixed at the end. And the shepherd would pull that out and cause just enough pain in the sheep in order to redirect them back in his way. See, God brings joy and freedom, but do we also recognize his word when it stings? (laughs) Because when we start chasing the voices of this world, when we start trying to please others more than God, when we start listening to, to the lies of Satan in our mind, our shepherd is kind enough to convict us, to prick us, even wound us if necessary, to redirect us. Last Sunday, I preached on anxiety. And last Sunday night, I was reading this book just more learning about anxiety. And this book was talking about how sometimes when we're anxious, uh, we tend to retreat back toward what's comfortable instead of leaning in and growing. And as I was reading that book, I thought to myself, (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's so true how people do that. (laughs) And suddenly, as I was reading this, like, I'm not kidding, several, like, scenes flashed in my mind of times when I have retreated back to what's comfortable in the midst of feeling anxious. As if God was saying, Kirk, I'm not talking about anybody else right now. I'm talking about you. And it felt like a little bit of a gut punch, but, but it, it was, frankly, it was God in his grace and kindness pointing out to me how I had been following the voices of others and following the voice of fear instead of listening to and following his voice. And he doesn't want that for you or me. He wants freedom for us. He's given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And he says, I'm going to teach you how to walk in that way. So as God's voice draws us closer to his joy... And redirects us when necessary in his grace. Where is he ultimately leading us? You know, he's pointing us, but what direction is he going? As his word, as his voice comforts and convicts, reminds and rebukes. But according to the words of the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, toward what end? See, God is training us to trust his voice above all. Because in the end, his voice alone will matter.
in his final words. You can imagine this, this author, he's looking back over his life, but he's also looking toward, forward to the future. And he, in this moment, concludes that after all is said and done, there is just one thing that matters. And he says, verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Or, or this is what it means to be whole and truly human as God intended. Now, that word fear God, generations past was somewhat common, that language. You'd refer to someone as a God-fearing man or woman, right? But that language doesn't really connect with our culture today. We have a hard time understanding that. And frankly, I think we've, we've actually lost something good in, in losing this kind of language. So what, so what does the fear of God or to fear God mean? Well, the fear of God is often defined as reverence or awe, which is true, which is true. Someone who fears God lives like he's the creator and and we're not. He's holy and, and we're not. He's the almighty Lord and we're not. He's worthy of worship and we're not. And if he's God and I'm not, then that means that all the other voices around me can't compare to his voice, his commands, or his way. And see, the reason why God has to speak to us sometimes like a goad is to remind us that he's Lord and we're not. And that as God's creation, it is our duty or our design to worship him alone. That he did not design us to live compartmentalized or divided lives where we just follow the voice of our boss over here, the voice of the world over here, and then follow the voice of God on Sundays. He designed us that the fear of the Lord means that we are learning to follow him reverently, humbly, carefully, fully as Lord. But there's another side to the fear of God. It's another side. Because what we see from, from what Ecclesiastes says is that we learn to listen to him and obey him because only he can make us whole. Yes, we are to fear God, but not in the way that we would fear a tyrant or a dictator. Why? Because we also heard his voice of joy, liberating love and peace. That we've heard his voice as the almighty Lord, but we've also heard his voice as a good father who speaks to us. It may be a hard word, but it's wrapped in grace so that we would teach us to follow his way, that we will learn to respect him, but also love him. And what makes that all the more clear to us is that we have a holy God, yes, which means that he can't dwell with sin. But instead of condemning all of us who have sinned from his heavenly throne, he took on flesh. He carried our punishment for our sin he died in our place as a ransom for the crimes we committed against him. And when we get that, we learn that the fear of God means to honor him and deeply love him. And we follow him not just out of a sense of duty, but desire. Because only he can make us whole. 
And as we learn the fear of God and reverence and joy, what happens next? The fear of death grows weaker. In the end, only one voice will matter. And this is exactly how he finishes his book by saying, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Since he is a just, loving God, he must expose all sin one day in order to make all things right. But for those who have received Christ by faith and trusted that he has paid our debt of sin, Scripture says that your names are written in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And that when you stand, when that day comes, and God must, must expose all evil and sin in this world, we will stand there in a white robe because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, no longer our sin held against us. In the end, only one voice will matter. That's it. One. And we can learn over time to hear that one voice and follow it. Yesterday, we honored and celebrated uh, the life of Betty Lloyd, who was a longtime member here and a precious woman of God. And when I think about her, the verse Proverbs 31 30 came to my mind that charm is deceptive and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Like she had charm and she had beauty, certainly. But all people talked about yesterday was her unshakable trust in God. That at various times in the last 30 years of, our, of her life, she had breast cancer, eight joint replacements, skin cancer, lymphoma, and a rare lung disease. The last 30 years of her life. But yet, when she was asked to write her testimony as a part of a Bible study, these are her words. The Lord and I have walked together for a long time and gone through many trials. He has never forsaken me. As my time here is getting shorter and I know that death is not something to fear. And she lived that way. She lived that way. When nearly everything else was stripped away from her, she still trusted her God. And in the end, only one voice will matter. And so speaking to us, what does that next step look like in our lives individually to learn to weigh and study God's voice? Maybe you're somebody who, who you, you recognize this is important, but you realize that you don't really have a time daily that you spend with God. I would encourage you to set apart 15 minutes, 30 minutes daily, if you don't already, to spend time talking to God, praying, getting to know his word. Next Sunday, we're beginning a sermon series through Ephesians. If you don't know where to start in the Bible, start there. And we're going to give some resources in the coming week, two weeks, on, on ways that we can study this together as a church over the summer. Jump into that with us. Study that with us. If you're somebody who you do regularly spend time with God, your time, time in prayer and his word, one thing God challenged me on this week, and maybe, maybe it might be the same for you, is to, when we come to God, I so often come and I'm rushed, and I come with an agenda. 
But he challenged me this week. Just like Samuel in the Old Testament would just come to God and say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. What if we just opened up space and instead of being in a rush, instead of coming to, to the Lord with our agenda, what if we just at least started or had some moment when we just said, Lord, why don't you set the agenda? What do you want to say today? And we just opened our heart to him. For others of you, you have been walking with the Lord for a long time. You have weighed and you have studied and you feel like there's something in you that just needs to be shared. And maybe there's somebody around you who, who consistently asks you questions about the Bible or asks you wisdom for life. What if God has already placed somebody in your path that you can now share and teach them to weigh and study God's word for themselves? That's what discipleship looks like. That's what we talk about a lot in this church, is how can we train up followers of him? But in the end, only one voice will matter. And guys, he's speaking. He has spoken. Let's pray. Stand with me, everybody. Lord, we mark out this moment. And I pray that your spirit would just be free to move and free to speak. We see that all that you have done in love for us to show us who you are. And God, I pray against those voices in people's minds right now that says, like, I'm not smart enough to know the Bible. Or I'm not spiritual enough to hear the voice of the Spirit. Or God speaks to somebody, but they don't, he doesn't speak to me. God, I pray against those. Those are not from you. And so teach us as a church to take every thought captive that does not align with you and who you are. So that we can, can learn to live each day following your voice, listening for your voice, and learning to get to know you. Not just learn about you, but actually know you, the living God. So we're going to sing in just a minute. But I want to give us all just a moment of just quiet reflection to where we just say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Just take a moment, just you and God, just in silence, to see what he brings to your mind, what stood out to you from the sermon, what stood out to you from his word, what is highlighted for you, and talk to him about that. Lord, thank you for affirming your love to people right now. Thank you for affirming your forgiveness over people right now. Thank you for, for reminding them uh, that you are leading them towards joy and freedom. Thank you for reminding us, even if painfully, that you're Lord and we're not. God, because we know that it's always in your grace that you lead us to the way of life. Teach us as a community, as a church, what it means to hear you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.